crime, cases, and backing the blue. Now, here are your hosts, Captain Ed Mamet and Detective Kevin Schroeder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cop Talk. My name is Kevin Schroeder, retired NYPD detective, and I'm here with my co-host, retired Captain Ed Mamet. Say hello, Ed. <clears throat> hello, WABC listeners. Today is a very special day for me because the guest and I go back almost 50 years or more. So today's guest, we're very honored to have the famous NYPD Commissioner, Raymond Kelly. Hello, Raymond. Hey, good to be with you, Gary. Thanks for having me. I want to say that I, I did 40 years in the department, and I served under 11 police commissioners, and Ray Kelly was by far the best of all. I really have uh, to say that. And he was a cop, he's a lawyer, he was a Marine, he was police commissioner twice, he, um, he went to Haiti for uh, President Clinton. He was a commissioner in boxing. He's a consultant. I mean, he's everything. He has a resume that is hard to beat. And I've known him, I've known him since um, 1972 when we were both promoted from the same lieutenant's list. Um, I got promoted before him because I was older than him. <laughs> I had more seniority than him. And um, he went on to be the police commissioner, and I only went on to be as high as captain. And I remember him saying to me one day, the best thing that ever happened to him, and correct me if I'm wrong, commissioner, was his wife in the Marine Corps. Am I correct? Oh, I had the police department there, too. No, before <laughs> that. Triad. <laughs> and he, and he, was, uh, he was a Marine, and... Um, <laughs> I'm feeling that impression. That is, that is. And then um, he also wrote a book, uh, uh, a best-selling book uh, entitled "Vigilance," about his uh, time um, uh, with dealing with anti-terrorism. And one of the b things I admired most about him, and, and this I can say this from a very personal level is that, I guess he learned this in the Marine Corps, when he was police commissioner, he would visit injured and sick police officers, and if he couldn't get out to visit him, he would call them. Um, I, and I have never heard of a police commissioner doing that. So he was to be admired for that. And also, in my own case, I was seriously injured many years ago. I was in a hospital, almost on my deathbed. And uh, unbeknownst to me, he came to visit me uh, and I didn't know about it until about 20 years later. And when I asked him about it, I said, how come you never told me? And he says to me, ah, what's the difference? You, you know, you survived. So he's a man to be admired. Well, hey, thank you so much for those very kind, uh, kind words. It's a mutual admiration uh, relationship because uh, you are one of the most tenacious and effective uh, fighters on a lot of fronts that I, that I know. So, but thank you. Coming from you, it means a lot. So I have a Commissioner Ray Kelly story myself. I, does, I do not know him as well as you do, Ed. But my story, uh, Commissioner, is back in November 2001, you were the Commissioner of Boxing, correct? Correct, yeah. yes. So I was in the Midtown North Detective Squad, and we happened to be watching a fight live on ESPN, um, coming live from Roseland, which I believe you were at attending the uh, fight. And little did we know, about 30 minutes after we put on the uh, fight, that... Uh, the detective squad uh, would be over in, mid, uh, over in Roseland uh, making an arrest for locking up James Butler for punching Richard Grant at Roseland, uh, sucker punching him and breaking his jaw, and we locked him up for assault. 
Um, we took him back to the squad in his shorts, and um, we processed him. But uh, maybe you could elaborate a little bit. Yeah, so I was the boxing commissioner, you're correct, and I was at Roseland that, uh, that night witnessing the fight. Now, the two fighters were James Butler and Richard Grant. Grant was basically a boxer, where Butler was known as a puncher. So it's a six-round fight, and uh, throughout the fight, uh, Grant uh, sort of bobbed and weaved and uh, avoided, certainly avoided being knocked out, and Butler uh, lost on a, a decision. So at the end of the fight, uh, the gloves are, uh, are cut off, and uh, Grant goes over to shake Butler's hand, and he cold cocks it, smashes him with a right hand, knocks him down, knocks him out, breaks his jaw, uh, cuts his face uh, open. He had, you know, lots of stitches ultimately. So I just, I was shocked. <laughs> Everybody was shocked. So I we're going to arrest this man. Now, there were cops there. Uh, I think Joe Esposito was there, if I'm not certain. And anyway, there were cops present, and I, we got to arrest this guy. So we went into the uh, dressing room, and we just, <laughs> stopped there, held him there, and I know I know detectives came. Uh, obviously, Kevin, you were you responded there and uh, took him in his trunk. You didn't let him get dressed right. or anything. Took him. Uh, you you took him to the station house. He ultimately, I think, was somehow sentenced to a year, but he did four months in Rikers for that for that assault. Right. But right. Uh, this guy was a really bad. Uh, dude, he went to California. He, I don't know if you remember, well, there was a, there's a TV guy by the name of Max Kellerman who uh, was on uh, ESPN. I think he may still be on ESPN, but his brother was involved in the pipe business. This guy Butler went to, he was down and out, went to live with his, his brother uh, Sam Kellerman, and he killed him. He hit him with a hammer and uh, he murdered him. He was sentenced to, uh, uh, that's over 20 years in jail in California. Now, I lost track of him. Somebody told me that he was killed in prison, but I, I don't know if that's a, the, the fact or not. But uh, it was uh, it was a joke to everybody, and the right thing uh, was done, and Kevin, you were there. Yeah, I was there, and I was the AO, the arresting officer. Uh, Commissioner, America faces unprecedented challenges, many, uh, many which involve public safety and maintaining order. Is American law enforcement up to the challenge as far as uh, you know? You know, guys, I think the jury is still very much out on that question, unfortunately. Uh, the, uh, the death of George Floyd brought about a sea change in, in policing in America. Cops were uh, demonized. They were vilified. They were attacked right here in this in this city. We saw... Uh, the day after, or actually the night, I believe, George Floyd's uh, video came out, we, we saw a major riot in our city. Thousands of rioters, over 400 cops in, injured. We saw, you know, Macy's looted, other stores looted. And uh, we had over 300 riots and disturbances throughout the country with many cops injured, people killed, and huge amounts of, of property damage. Since then... Uh, police have sort of necessarily taken a step back. Uh, thousands of cops have left their profession, not only in uh, New York City, but uh, 
throughout the country. There were laws passed. There's just a punisher police. And, you know, you can see this this silly law that, uh, that, that's been passed by the city council, uh, how many stops law to have cops who make a report on everybody basically they, they talk to. More than just saying hello, any other contact, you've got to make out a phone. So this is the type, this is the reaction that happened as a result of, of George Floyd. And uh, very difficult for departments to hire an adequate number of police officers. The NYPD is down literally thousands of officers from where it should be. Cops are leaving uh, without without any pension benefits. So that's just an instance that they're still leaving. I thought the PBA contract would slow that down. I'm told apparently that so far it has not. But still uh, leaving in an inordinately high uh, number. And proactive policing, the thing that, that worked uh, so well under the Giuliani and Bloomberg administration is uh, pretty much a thing of the past. That uh, we, we were involved in reactive policing. And uh, so if you look down the road, is that going to change? I don't see any particular reason to be optimistic about about it changing. You know, I have two young uh, granddaughters who are the light of our lives, and I certainly worry about the future for them and for the future for America. Because what's happening here is happening to varying degrees in other major cities in the, in our country, and uh, it's uh, you know it's something to be very concerned about. So. I, I wish I had a you know a more positive answer for you. I hope certainly hope America gets on the right track and, and law enforcement gets on the right track. But so far, that hasn't happened. What I'd like to point out to our listeners is that under your twelve years, we were the safest city in America, and now it's totally reversed. You're gonna have to come back. <laughs> yeah. So, well, you know, a lot of things have happened. The city council become more radical, believe it or not, <laughs> after every election. And they are the enemies, the enemies of the police and the enemies of the, the public in New York City. They've made major changes that have really made life uh, very difficult for police officers now. It's, uh, it's a job I love. I know the three of us love it. Uh, but I think you'd have to ask yourself now, if you were 21 years old at this time, you'd have to think long and hard about joining the department these days. And that's, uh, that's a sad thing to say. Well, Commissioner, on that note, um, unlike when I came on in 1985, you know, guys would leave the job to go to, you know, maybe Nassau County or state troopers or the fire department. But now you have these kids coming on a job at 21, 22 years old out of college, and they're just leaving to leave, like not even going to another police department. Just like, I'm done. I'm, I'm burnt out. And I'm, I'm going to get another career. And we right. didn't see that back in our day, you know, basically no. back in our day. They moved on to another uh, law enforcement uh, ed. Uh, and we always, always had that, uh, that movement from the police department to the fire department. The fire department's a great job. We understood that. But just as you said, police officers are leaving without any uh, without any vested interest. You know, five years of get some sort of retirement benefit. Ah, they're not waiting for that. They are, they are leaving. And I, and I don't think we know fully why they're leaving. I get different... Uh, Reasons given to me, people say that it's forced overtime, it's just the total change of uh, of attitude towards cops on the part of the, the public, it's the 
restrictive uh, laws and regulations that were put in by the city council. Um, so it's, I, they're leaving, no question about it. I'd like to have more definitive uh, answers as to why is it maybe somehow it can be addressed. But so far, it's not been addressed. Yeah, well, you know, of course, there's a shortage with manpower, and you know, we loved overtime in my day. We loved overtime. We'd stay there for three days in a row. We'd have to be told to go home. But the kids today, you know, they they don't really want the overtime. They want their freedom. They want to do their five and two, five and three, and go home. Not work seven, eight days in a row, triples, doubles, and you know, they understand they have to be there. That's what they signed up for. But at the end of the day, there's no there's no one coming over the mountain. There's no help uh, coming in sight. Yeah, I mean, you can't, and and you know, even like. Well, fallout tours and something that, you know, cops talk about, and I know I'm going to do a little bit of experimenting on it uh, in the contract, but if you, if you do a little tour like that or do overtime or whatever, you know, go home and then come back, you know, that is quite a, uh, quite a burden. And a lot right. of cops live uh, out of the city, and it, which you're absolutely entitled to do. So it's, uh, it, it makes life very difficult for them and their families. True. Very true. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. On to another area. The, the rapid growth of uh, artificial intelligence poses uh, new challenges and opportunities for law enforcement. Uh, what are your thoughts about uh, AI for the future? Well, I tell you, I, I don't know enough about it. Um, I'd like to know more about it. I've, I've read about it. I can say this, though. Some very, very smart people had cautions about the dangers of AI. Henry Kissinger, uh, Eric Schmidt, founder of Google, uh, Elon Musk have all said that AI has to be carefully controlled. And so far, we don't see the structure in place to, to do that. We talked about we, we would need international compacts, that sort of thing. So it's very much an open, uh, open issue. You know, I was thinking, you know, in terms of policing is concerned, the law enforcement, let's think about counterfeiting, you know. <laughs> with the information from from artificial intelligence, you can make a perfect uh, $100 bill. <laughs> you know, how, how do we guard against that sort of, sort of phenomenon? I mean, just many, many, many issues that have to be thought about as far as AI is concerned. But, I, but for me, having those types of people warn about it made me very... Uh, uh, leery of it. I did, I fooled around with uh, chat GPT and uh, it's kind of amazing. You just ask the questions and it, it spouts answers. The answers are not always correct, but uh, boy, it responds very quickly. And um, it, it's just, it's something that uh, is, is, we need, we all need collectively a lot more information about it. Just can't be the elite that are. You know, running uh, AI and the application of AI. One of the things I wanted to comment about that, I, I had uh, read or heard that 
regarding the October 7th attack in, in Israel, one of the reasons why the Israeli was caught off guard was they relied heavily on AI to monitor the, uh, the border at Gaza. Um, and rather than use human intelligence like it was done before, this, supposedly this over-reliance caused the problem. So there are problems with AI, and people yeah. should not rush to uh, <laughs> embrace it. <laughs> you know, we, uh, we, we worked when I was in the department with the Israelis, uh, very good intelligence uh, operations. Uh, I was totally shocked uh, by October 7th. And I, I, I think uh, you're right. and that There was an over-reliance on technology. I read that they had like uh, automated machine guns, and nobody was actually shooting a machine gun. Correct. And it was all, all done done electronically, and they're not they were not fighting and are not fighting dumb people. You know they they dismantle a lot of the defensive op, uh, structure they had with drones. So it's a uh, it's a changed world, and it really surprised me that they. We're not more on guard. The, the new agreement, the, uh, the so-called Kettling <laughs> Agreement, which uh, relates to protesting. Kevin wants to talk about that. So. Yeah, Commissioner, uh, what is your thoughts on the uh, Kettling Agreement? It has gone way too far. And it is, it's incredible that the mayor agreed to this. Why did he agree to it? Oh, the lawyers told him to do it. That's, that's not leadership. Because lawyers tell you to do something, they always want to settle. I mean, it's, it's ludicrous. Now, it, it actually creates a committee of, I think, five or six people, only one from the police department, that's going to manage, are going to look at how disorders are, are policed. And, uh, you know, what we, they're going to tell the department based on the number of people who are demonstrating. How many cops you should assign? I mean, that, that is ludicrous. You need flexibility. You know, if you have intelligence information as to what's going on in a particular demonstration. Now, kettling, the term kettling, I think it's a, it's a, a plaintiff's term, you know, made up, you know, made up by plaintiff's lawyers. Mm-hmm. But in essence, what it means is you can't go behind demonstrating. They always need a, a way to, to move away. Uh, to escape, which to me, let's say you want to, you have to arrest somebody in the crowd. You know, you may have observers uh, on the roof. You're looking at people that make it. They're doing some criminal act. Okay, we want to arrest that guy, that guy, and that guy. You have to go around behind them to to, to cut them off. Uh, it, it makes it makes no sense to to have an agreement like this, and the, the nerve. <laughs> they, this. Uh, the plaintiff, or certainly the judge in this case, who's going to sign off on this, um, and apparently has signed off on the on the agreement, uh, can can totally supersede the knowledge, the experience, uh, the the operational know how of police commanders in the field. It's just absurd. And and you know, I, I also I think we need we need a lot more training as far as handling. Uh, the disorder situations are concerned. We remember, you know, the, the days where you had 1041 and 1042s where, you know, radio cars would, would, would be called to the scene of a major event. Well, that, that has not been trained. And in the de Blasio administration, they stopped all disorder control training except for the 
SRGs, or as we used to call them, the, the, the task force. Task force, right. So, so there is, there was no training for over six years in, in uh, Bloomberg administration. We had disorder control training for some part of the department every day. That ended with the budget. So you said six and a half years, you had no disorder training. And then you saw what happened with the, after the George Floyd uh, incident, where, you know, the cops were caught unaware and not able, in my opinion, to adequately uh, uh, respond. So this, this is not what the department needs. You don't need more oversight as far as disorders are, are concerned. We need more training. We need more training for cops in a precinct because they have to respond when there is a large disorder. They're, they're working with cops that they don't necessarily work with. They're working with precinct folks from other other commands. That's the type of coordination and training that the department needs to, to work on, not having a, uh, a civilian uh, o- oversight people come in and tell you how many cops you should assign to a demonstration. You know, in our, in our time, when I say our, yours or mine, um, we never heard of this term, kettling, and, and also this agreement flies in the face of hundreds of years of um, riot control techniques. As I, I recall that when you have a disorder or whatever, um, you use the wedge formations, you break up the crowds, and you allow them to escape or get to go down the side streets. You don't trap them right. in one place. Um, so everything has been you know, changed around, and that's kind of bizarre. Uh, I was. Yeah. In, I, I think you were too. I, I remember the Harlem riots of 1964 and the Bedford Stuyvesant riots of 64, the Martin Luther King riots of 68, all the Vietnam demonstrations. You and I went through all that. Um, we handled them. We didn't have these kind of problems that uh, we have today. And, and also, what's wrong with this agreement? It requires you know consultation with with uh, higher ranks. As you know, uh, uh, a peaceful demonstration can turn on a dime and become a riot. You don't have time to, to ask it for, for permission. Can I do this? Can I do that? Am I correct? Absolutely. But I don't know if this was ever discussed at all. With the, you know, Somehow, uh, Adam has been told that this is a good thing to find it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I agree. The department did pretty well handling those major demonstrations through the years. We had the help of um, <coughs> the uh, mounted unit, which I don't see the mounted unit out there anymore with these oh, demonstrations. No, you don't see at all. And you don't see nightstick. That's <laughs> no. right. That's right. <laughs> right. You know, if you're going to push a crowd back, you're not going to do it with your ass. You know, the, the ass is that little right. extendable thing that the cops now have. No, you need, you need nightstick. To, to be used as a uh, <laughs> as a weapon, but certainly as a tool to push and control people. And another thing in this uh, agreement, they say that you're not supposed to have the display of uh, overwhelming force. And I can recall that one of the ways you deter the, these these riotous situations is by demonstrating an overwhelming show of force. You don't have to actually put them into action, but just the mere presence of, you know, hundreds of police officers with nightsticks, you know, can be a very important thing. Absolutely. Excellent point. Uh, yeah. You see, uh, it, of course, that, that, that's what you want to do to make certain that there isn't a close uh, combat, you know. But, uh, no, this is all, this is uh, another 
just a silly example of what's going on in the city administration. So, Commissioner, I'm, I'm sure you're well aware of Mayor Adams' veto, the How Many Stops Act, that would require cops to log every investigative encounter with civilians. What is your thoughts on this bill? Well, well the, you know, the fundamental issue is, what is the purpose? It serves absolutely no purpose. Uh, New York is a majority-minority city. So people you're going to stop and ask if they're witnesses to a crime, guess what? Chances are they're going to be minority. What is the purpose of it? Now, the fellow Jim Quinn he wrote an article today in the, in the Post. He is a former executive uh, district attorney in Queens for 42 years. He does an excellent job uh, addressing this. It is strictly an, an uh, effort to handicap police and make them undo unnecessary work. It's never been a uh, never been a complaint that people have been you know, harassed or or stopped when you're talking to them as being being a witness. We have the the you know the stop and question and frisk form. And they show consistently, the, you know, the race of people who are who are uh, questioned. Or, it is it, more than adequate to have that type of information on that form. So this is, uh, you know, Germani Williams is a, a cop leader. He's pushing this. He's the public advocate, and I I would believe that they're going to override the mayor's veto. Because it uh, it shows who's a boy, they want to show that they're in charge. So he, he needs two votes apparently to sustain his veto. And, and and by the way, I mean this is a, this is kind of a gift to Eric Adams to make him look like he's uh, you know pro police. Well, he's done a lot of things that uh, have not uh, indicated that. You know, there's no there's no use, for instance, of, of, of anti crime personnel. You know. The three of us have seen how effective anti-crime can be through the years, particularly addressing street crime. And that's the area where crime is rising, continues to rise. Robberies, uh, grand lawsuits, that, that sort of thing. But he won't, he won't do that. But, you know, he vetoed this. Okay, we'll give him, give him credit for that. But I think it will be overridden. Yeah, I, I believe I believe so. Unfortunately, I believe so as well. You know, I mean, in investigation, detectives already do, you know, DD5s. That's what DD5s are for, you know. But to have yeah, every police right. officer filling out this paperwork, uh, ridiculous. But, um, well, the, the question is, how are they going to do it? Are they going to do it on their smartphones or are they going to do it on paper? And regardless of how they do it, you're going to have all this information. Where is it going to go and who's going to look at it? You know, it's crazy. And it's obviously it's going to be a deterrent you know, to stop people in any case. Yeah. One of the human reactions will be, hey, I'll just talk to fewer people. And probably there'll be overtime generated because they'll have to spend time um, at making the entries. Um, so I, I, there's really no purpose in it, you know, other than to satisfy Drew Money Williams' um, crazy agenda. And, and not only that, you know what I think is going to happen? <clears throat> I think what will happen is it will get so overwhelming that people in the department will stop doing it. So what can the city council do? <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I think that two things will happen. Uh, you know, to the extent that it is adhered to, uh, yeah, it will be overwhelming and, and, and it, just won't be, it just won't do it anymore. 
Right. Or they won't, they won't talk to people. Which is another bad thing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, Commissioner, you've had a very distinguished career, as we all know. Great career. Looking back, which part has been the most gratifying? Well, I've been very fortunate. Uh, very lucky with the wonderful uh, opportunities and great people, great cops. I was in the federal government, I was in the Marine Corps. You know, I've been so privileged to be with great institutions. Uh, it's hard to pick out any one thing. I would say, you know, when when uh, Bloomberg asked me to come back as the chief commissioner, it was uh, uh, just you know, a month or so after uh, horrendous events of 9-11. We had tremendous challenges ahead of us when we came in in uh, 2002. Cops were leaving. Uh, the city uh, uh, population was changing. People were leaving the city. You could go to Times Square and see that uh, the traffic just simply wasn't there. So we had to rebuild in a lot of ways. And we started out with the three T's, we called it. Uh, community relations, crime control, and counterterrorism. Those were our three uh, sort of operating uh, principles and, and targets in uh in the Bloomberg administration. And, uh, you know, after 12 years of uh, Bloomberg, we had uh, we had a 40% reduction in violent crime. Uh, we had no successful terrorism uh, attacks in New York City, uh, even though we had 16 plots. You know, we had created our own counterterrorism bureau, put people overseas, and then done a lot to, to, to assist the, uh, the federal government in protecting New York from a from another attack. And as far as community relations are concerned, I'm very fortunate, happy, and proud to say that uh, I had a 75% approval rating uh, in uh, 2013, uh, last year, and uh, I had a 63% approval rating with the African American community. So that, 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 I think that, yeah, that made me. Uh, Proud, and uh, I think it was a result of uh, a lot of hard work, not only by me, but a lot of other uh, uh, people. I think cops did a great job uh, on, on Mayor Bloomberg's watch, and we were all very, very uh, proud of the, the work the NYPD did during those years. You know, I'd like to point out to our listeners that Commissioner Kelly was the longest serving commissioner in the history of the New York City Police Department. He did 12 years on the Mayor Bloomberg, and I believe on the Dinkins it was about 18 months. Am I right, Commissioner? Yes. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> prior to him, the longest serving was Louis Valentine on the Mayor LaGuardia, about 11 years. And Ray Kelly exceeded that by several years. And not only that, he was the first commissioner to be appointed two times in different administrations. Um, I know that he was followed by by Bratton, but Ray Kelly was the first to have two separate appointments. He was the thirty, he was the forty seventh commissioner, I believe, and then the thirty fifth commissioner, something like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and also, um, I'd like to point out to the audience: if you haven't done it, you should get his book, Vigilance, uh, and read that book. It's a great book, and uh, it'll tell you more about him. It goes into his personal life. Um, you're uh, weren't your brothers all Marines? Yes, I had three older brothers. They were all Marines. And uh, 
of course, I had no choice as a result. Right. And your son, and your son Greg, who we interviewed recently, Greg. he was a, a Marine, a, a Harrier jet pilot. So Absolutely. you have great Marine yep. Corps history. So it's hard to imagine someone like yourself ever retiring um, in the traditional sense. So what's your focus these days? Well, I'm, I'm uh, still involved in consulting with security companies. Um, I'm on the Al Smith board and uh, a couple other charitable uh, efforts. And I'm, uh, right now I can't take it from my wife who injured her foot and had an operation, but she's going to be fine. But, but that's my that's my immediate job is to take care of her. And uh, she's doing fine. Well, anyway, uh, it's been a great interview. Uh, I'm so proud to have done this with you because you and I go back for so many years. I mean, half a century we sure know each do. other. Yeah, yeah we, we, very true. We were both youngsters when we met. Very true. Commissioner, thank you so much for being our guest today on Cop Talk. And it was a great interview and a, a, a pleasure and a privilege to, uh, and we're honored to have you on today. So thank you very much for all all of God's work we've done through the years and you continue to do. So thank you. Well, that's very nice. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and uh, hope to see you in person one of these days. Sounds great. We look forward to it. So if you like what you hear, you can subscribe to Cop Talk, and you can follow us on Twitter at Cop Talk WABC. That's at Cop Talk WABC. Until next time, be safe out there. God bless the NYPD. God bless law enforcement throughout the world, and also God bless America. Thank you.